Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm the Gnarly Gnome. This is Cincy Brewcast. Welcome back. Um, I was in the middle of a, a cell phone conversation when the show started after I just got done saying, oh, it's not live, it's fine, it's, it's all edited together. Um, I have been not only waiting to do this show for a while, I've been waiting to get here for a while. It used to be that Cincinnati's beer scene was pretty easy. You could, um, a new beer was released and you would just go get it every single one of them a new brewery would open and he would just go to the grand opening and and hang out and um the combination of the 764 breweries that we have in cincinnati now which is i not that that's not that the amount of breweries we have is a bad thing i love it but there's a lot the combination of that and the two small humans that live in my house make it really hard to get anywhere anymore so uh, this is my first time at esoteric and i am really really happy to be here um you guys introduce yourselves, um, tell everybody who you are and what you do here, and then people can kind of hear your voice and um, put it all together in their heads. Uh, this is Brian Jackson. I am a CEO and co-founder of Esoteric Brewing Company, as well as head brewmaster. Hey, all. It's Patrick Claysmith, uh, co-founder of Esoteric Brewing Company and uh, chief operating officer. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you taking some time out to uh, to sit down with me and talk about kind of what this place is and, 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 and what you do here, because uh, this is a, a big project, a long time in the, in the making, a very long time in the making. I think the, uh, the, the headline that I remember was from Cincy Weekend, and it said, Esoteric Brewing is going to open in Walnut Hills in 2018. <laughs> I always laugh when I see brewery headlines that have a date like that. I'm like, oh, no, it won't. <laughs> hey, I um, know I was the project manager, but that's not my fault. Okay? <laughs> I'm very clear. I did my job. <laughs> we are open now. So. We, you are open now. And um, and we'll talk kind of about the journey to get here. But first, we need to uh, to drink a beer because it is a beer the podcast. Beer and that's what we do. Um, thank you. So I'm starting right here on my left, right? Correct. Um, yeah. So you're going to get uh, Chrysalis Cream Ale first. So talk a little bit about, uh, before I drink this, um, what is kind of the, uh, what is the, not that, not that there's a theme, but what is kind of the, the driving factor of the things you guys put on tap? What is the, uh, the idea behind the beer? Is there, is there something that ties them all together? I'm, I've heard some people say, you know, this is a Belgian inspired brewery. Other people say, no, that's not it at all. And um, kind of, kind of where does that all kind of um, fit into a is there a theme to, to, to the taps? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, although the kind of Belgian um, rumor, if you will, I think just goes from the fact that I just love Belgian beers. So a lot of people would always see me either brewing them or enjoying one and thought that that was the kind of normal uh, beer that I would probably produce when we open. But if anything, we are more of a traditionalist beer um, or brewery, if you will. We like to focus heavily on process and technique um, and being more about having a purist mentality, if you will. Um, I'm always looking for ways uh, to what I can cut back from the beer rather than add to it. That's interesting. Um, and we'll get to the cream ale in a second because I'm, I don't want to lose my train of thought on that because we live in this really strange time of craft beer where um, restraint has almost gone out the window with a lot of places. It's trying to make things, and maybe it's always kind of been there in craft beer, trying to make things bigger and bolder and more of this and more of that and just hit you over the head with flavors or ideas or, 
you know, Lucky Charms in your beer, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, and, and not that that's not that that's wrong, but um, is do you think that you've got craft beer drinkers that are going to kind of push back on the idea of traditional beer, or do you think it's something that people are kind of getting desperate for and not maybe not knowing that they're desperate for? Does that make sense? Yeah. I would say it's a little bit of both, honestly. Um, I think I think there's such a large population of craft beer, uh, beer drinkers now that um, everybody has their own, you know, style or flavor that they're looking for. So I think there are a lot of people out there who really want to go after the pastry stouts and the whales and the double IPAs. And um, granted, we will be making, you know, double IPAs in a traditional sense and imperial stouts, but... Um, those chase beers, if you will, whereas I think there are also folks who are looking for, um, you know, just a tried and true drink that they can keep in their fridge day in and day out and feel like it's reliable based off of quality. And it's something that they're always looking to grab when they go to the store. Well, you guys are a hop, skip and a jump away from Listerman and they are kind of probably waving the flag louder than anybody else in town right now for big kind of over the top, uh, trendy kind of beers. I don't know how to, how to put it in a, <laughs> you know, the, the pastry stouts and the big new England IPAs with whatever in them and, um, milkshake this. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is very different than the stuff that I'm seeing right here. And does that factor into the, uh, maybe the ability to have a place like this here is that you, you have somewhere that's close that if somebody wants that, they can go there and then bounce over here for something a little different. Does that factor in at all? Um, interesting. There's a couple things that I wanted to. Um, theme for me definitely is traditional. I always say to customers, nothing, nothing over exaggerative. Any of the flavors, like if uh, I, I don't want to jump ahead to the IPA, but to, to me, the IPA is the best example of like what we're really going through. I would tell you that I am to a large degree, one of the owners and a part of this uh, project because of that IPA, because it told me that in my mind, Brian knew what, what he was doing with beer. It's all the pieces of an IPA, like all the other beers are all the pieces of what they are, but in a very beautifully balanced form. It's not nothing super over the top. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm still formulating opinion on this. The pastry salts, you know, and the milkshake IPAs, um, I was all about milkshake IPAs when they first uh, came out and I uh, like you have two kids I've got a four month old it's not like I get out right, right. so and I'm not trying I'm, frankly I'm not trying other people's beer right now it's just not what I have time to do but I had gone to Jungle Gyms a couple times and picked up like a lot of singles of milkshake IPA No, n- nobody from in town like just it wasn't I wasn't doing that on purpose just right. what they had and I didn't find one that I liked balance was balance was lacking in it right so um I don't, I don't we, we of course have no issue with uh, people you know forging a new path into that into that area I think there are people who do it really really well but then there is a lot of that where there are a lot of people and this is not I'm not saying about Cincinnati but there are a lot of in the in the nation people just doing things to do them right. rather than you know I think I think Listerman's really enjoys what what they're doing and, and doing it well right versus when it kind of gets blown out of proportion, is like we're just doing it to do it. We are here trying to focus on beer's been around for a really, really long time. There's frankly nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, I think we're trying to get back to the traditional way of not only the way it tastes, but the way it makes as well. 
And yeah, it does offer something if you want to jump around. Absolutely, right. The brewing community in Cincinnati is a great community. Well, I mean, you talk about balance in the beer, but I think balance in a community becomes very important too. When you've got places that are doing the pastry stouts and places that are doing milkshake IPAs or New Englands or sours or whatever it is, when you have that that side of craft beer being done well, it opens up the the, the craft beer world for people to kind of lean back into traditional whereas yeah. if you you know it's it just it becomes this big symbiotic kind of relationship of a beer community that um, I think is fun this beer the cream ale <laughs> you know taking five steps backwards again um, is fantastic I love it it's uh, it, it nails the style it's super easy drinking and um, that nice level of sweetness and something that you just kind of want to sit um, out in the sun and drink even though we don't get sun anymore it's you know it is six o'clock and it's dark already you just gotta come <laughs> at uh, six o'clock in the morning we'll do this next time at six o'clock in the morning man you can have all the sunlight you want it's it's fantastic and cream ale there has kind of a um, an important kind of part in Cincinnati mm-hmm. I think we're um, in the same way like with Bach beer we we have this weird love for um, the style that I think doesn't exist in a lot of places um, um, that probably thanks to, to little kings and stuff like that but um, I, I love this beer it's it's really well done um, thank you so two things on that first for our employees we did a sample pack of uh, BJCP commercial examples um, of the seven beers that we were gonna make mm-hmm. so once they got an offer and accepted then I put together like a, a seven beer pack and little Kings is the uh, pretty much the number one BJCP commercial example of a cream ale so everybody got little Kings and I had a bunch of it in the basement for a while you know because I what you can buy it and like it comes in an eight pack or something yeah, like, like that mm-hmm. yeah a small little it's, bottles it's a goofy right? little it's like an eight and a half pack or something yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know it was really kind of a cool experience I had honestly never had one before uh, Brian mentioned earlier that he's constantly trying to figure out what he can remove uh, almost immediately after making that beer, he said, I want to take the lactose out of it. Um, and that's something that Brian and I go back and forth on a lot. It's like when he makes something that's great, I'm like, don't change it. And he's like, oh, man, I got to change it, man. I got to do something. It's like, no, stop changing it. It's like, no, you don't understand, man. It could be better. And I'm like, no, don't change it. Well, th- that is interesting to me because, you know, people fall in love with beers. And you, you hear you hear it all the time with breweries that have been around for a long time. People that, you know, revisit a beer that they maybe had, um, when a place opened or, you know, last year or whatever. Oh, it used to be better. It used to be. (laughs) It's like as, as a, as a brewer, I could see that desire to always kind of be pushing where, where that is to, to improve upon it. But it's a, it's, I guess it is a delicate balance when you put something on tap and, it becomes this this thing, um, then to to change. I don't know. It's it would be difficult. Yeah, I think um, one thing that is kind of missing from the craft bre- craft brewing scene um, is something that's way different than what like wine might offer, which is understanding that the raw ingredients are always going to change, um, specific to seasonal issues versus. You know, if there wasn't as much rain, um, you know, your ability to have the right soil for your barley when it's growing or hops, um, you know, we're always striving for consistency and quality, but we don't necessarily have that appreciation for, um, you know, the different styles as they change over time because of the raw ingredients and that, you know, there's some beauty in the fact that, um, 
you know, it can be different and still be relatively good within its its own right. But, um, you know, that's why a lot of vintages, when you talk about wine, for instance, have um, a lot of reverence, reverence when you're looking for a specific year because you knew that was the year right. where it had something to it. Um, I think you can get that when you start looking at vertical series um, or like, for instance, you know, a lot of people chase after uh, Dark Lord and will pick up a bunch of different, you know, variations and then try them based off of their different years and see kind of what was what and what was good for that year. Um, but even just from a core beer perspective, that can be something that, um, you know, we could have a better appreciation for. That's, that's a really interesting point. What, why do you think? Why do you think we're like that with beer that we we expect, you know, if you go and you buy, you know, X beer, whatever it is on the shelf, you expect it to be that exact same experience that you had before, whereas wine, it's not necessarily true. Um, yeah. I, mean, I guess in spirits, it is it is true. Like you you're expecting, you know, your Jack Daniels to taste like Jack Daniels. But then there's this whole movement that single barrel stuff now where you're expecting it not to like. I mean, I don't know if that's a question anybody can answer, but why? Why do we do that? (laughs) Um, So I grew up in a wine family. My dad still works for a German wine company, and uh, that's a a major part of my upbringing. And they always talk about it uh, like a living, breathing product, and I'd never really thought about beer that way until I met Brian. But from a processing standpoint, there's a lot less processing in in wine. There is not a boiling process. There is not a, you know... um, I guess the, yeah, there is a fermentation, obviously, right? But um, I don't know. It, it kind of seems it seems um, simpler in a way, but there's a lot less that you can maybe control. I, I do expect wine to kind of taste the, I don't know. Well, and I think, mm. you know, maybe with some of the bigger brands of wine and stuff, I'm sure that those wineries expect that, that wine to taste exactly like But they do a lot of blending, does, right. right? We were a lot of, like, small. There was a guy we used to... Uh, import from in Austria uh, we had four hectares which I forget how many acres that is it's a very small plot of land and it was greatly affected by like he had a day job at mm-hmm. the uh, at the Vienna airport and was he like to the point where was it a busy season for tourism and he was was he able to get away and into the field a lot and there's just so much love for separating the grapes I, I don't um, I don't know that we have that same connection and kind of romance of uh, you know of beer we just think that they you know, they put it in the boil kettle and yeah. should come out correctly the other end, right? But when you really get into it, it really becomes this, um, it's science, but it's also this just beautiful handcraft as well. Well, and I think, you know, that you talk about the the whim of the brewer and the, the ideas and the, uh, the desires of what you want this product to taste like, um, batch after batch or year after year, whatever it is, and um, maybe, you know, maybe the trends of the consumers and what they want kind of drive some of that too. But, um, I don't, I don't see it being communicated a lot within drinkers and I, I've never really thought about it before. That's, it's interesting. Something that I'm definitely going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be lying in bed tonight, tossing and turning, trying to think about it. <laughs> we need to drink another beer though. Um, so yeah, that just before you drink that one, that's the same beer, but we added a, um, blend of Leterza coffee that they made specifically for that. So beer. coffee cream ale is this one is this batch with the lactose you were talking about mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that hasn't been the lactose hasn't been removed okay yeah no. so I always wanted to make the coffee cream ale and I just knew that a cream ale in general would sell and people would enjoy very much a style like that it's one of the 
closest styles that we can get to a lager um, while still being in our infant stages and having to kind of focus more on ales just from a time right. constraint. Um, but because we are such small batch, but, you know, still need to, um, you know, figure out where our sales are. I had to make one base beer and then split it off to make the coffee version. But in, oh God, in that's oh, good. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> oh God. it's an, it's yeah, an interesting one. So like, you know, uh, of course, Sonder has their Kolsch version. Matry has the blonde version. Um, so I know those kind of styles, the lighter styles with coffee blend very well. So I knew that going in this cream ale would probably come out really well. So I had to, it, it kind of shoot from the hip on that one. It lets that coffee kind of jump out bright and, you know, right in the front of it and kind of, you know, you smell it as soon as you get close to the glass and it, uh, it doesn't let up when you taste it. It's, it just, you know, just kind of this smooth kind of rounded, um, it, it's, I love it. I, I, I feel like I'm going to say that a lot tonight, but man, that is, that is, that's fantastic. That, um, um, it's, what I want in a coffee beer a lot of times is something that's a little bit, um, you know, not that coffee stouts are, are um, wrong. I definitely like those two, especially as we start getting into the winter. But um, I want something that is a little more easy drinking and kind of um, it's the difference between having a cup of coffee and, you know, a cold brew where you can kind of I feel like you can you can pull other flavors out of a uh out of a coffee beer like this than you can, you know, where you're battling all of the roast of the, uh, um, the beer itself. It's a, it's a perfect vehicle in my opinion. (laughs) I I enjoyed a lot. We'll uh, come to this again when we get to the ethereal Belgian blonde, but uh, it's, uh, it's no secret that my sensory is terrible. (laughs) Um, And I don't know what it is about it. Like I wouldn't call it coffee. I don't know if I'm just like nose blind to it or what it is. What I pull out in that, and the same thing again with the ethereal when we get to the, the version that's steeped in basil, it's just very subtle. And that's, again, right. I think when we talk about kind of the, you know, the traditional beers that were focused on brewing and balance as well, there's a good example of balance. It's there. You can smell it. You can taste it. But I, I, for me, it doesn't punch me in the face, you know, and that's, again, when we talk about the IPA, it's, it is what it is, but it doesn't punch you in the face. It's um, with some some flavors. It's hard to do that. You know, coffee to me is one of them. It's hard to it's hard to build a um, a balanced beer around coffee. It's easy to kind of start hitting it with these other big flavors, trying to keep up with what coffee is. And um, you guys nailed it. I, so last week um, I did a show with Cartridge out in Mainville, and the conversation was very similar to this about you know trying to create things that are balanced, not hitting people over the head with flavors and. Um, it's, 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 it's very interesting that here we are the week after and it's kind of the same idea here with the, uh, um, kind of the, the thematic, uh, mood of the beers, I guess it's, it's very interesting. Um, so let's talk about how you guys got into, we'll, we'll just, we'll start from the beginning. How did you get into craft beer? Um, go one at a time and tell me kind of, was it something that was gradual over time or was there that kind of defining moment where you drank somebody go, oh my God, this is what beer is supposed to be. You know, what was, what was your road to craft beer? Yeah, I would say mine was that, um, you know, enlightening moment, if you will. Um, I mean, I was drinking probably like Bass and Guinness and maybe a little bit of Magic Hat. I didn't really consider Magic Hat at that point to be craft beer, if you will, but um, you know, whatever you could find at Kroger's at the time, which is probably 11 or 12 years ago. And there wasn't much craft beer out there except maybe Sierra Nevada that most right. people would 
stock in their shelves and I'd really never, you know, had it at that point. So I remember, you know, I was adventurous, but never like out seeking it. So I went to, um, Stanley's pub over in Columbia, Tusculum. And this is before I like even thought about opening a brewery for a business. And, um, a friend told me to try Bell's pale ale and it was like, I'd never knew beer could taste like that. It was probably the you know amount of hops that were in it at the time. Um, but I mean, it was at that moment that I decided like maybe I could open a brewery for, you know, my business. And, um, you know, I remember going the next weekend or that weekend, uh, to jungle gyms asking them, um, you know, do you guys have any bells? And the guy kind of laughed at me because, you know, I'd never had seen it or heard of it. And then he shows me this wall. That's an entire, like four (laughs) shelves tall of bells beer. And I was just like, Oh God, what am I getting into? Uh, were you were you actively trying to figure out some kind of road into starting your own business at that point before that and then beer just kind of appeared to you and that's you know kind of where that came from like yeah correct uh so i knew i wanted to open a business i just didn't know what and it was at that moment that i felt like beer could be one of those things and i remember looking on my phone at the time like how to brew beer and i was pre-med so a lot of it's biology and you know chemistry so what I was at least reading for how beer was made made a lot of sense to me so at that point um, you know I decided like this could be something I could really get into so quick side note right now that's Uncle Elliot okay Uh, that's Brian's uncle and all the art that you see on the walls is uh, all from him oh cool and uh, this one is kind of perfect that it has our logo in it so he painted our logo into it but it's all supposed to be I mean we have an art deco theme right intended to be uh, paintings from that time against iconic um, Cincinnati buildings at that time if you look this guy looks like he needs a cigar in his hand (laughs) (laughs) at that time it would have been acceptable too Um, if you look at the far right painting over there that is actually the paramount building that that we're sitting in right now with its original marquee and a tower and all that yeah Oh, those are so beautiful. He's, he's bringing another painting in that we don't know what it is. Supposedly, we're doing like uh, c- centaur versions, right? We're going to do a Brian centaur, Marvin centaur, Patrick <laughs> centaur. So, uh-huh. so, is the paintings that are on the wall, are these going to be rotating kind of over time as he kind of gets a whim to do something else? Or well, That's a great point. Depends yeah. on what he wants to paint. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is. I think it will be for a while, we'll, it will be the same kind of uh-huh. uh, setup, but yeah, yeah. it's. Yeah, whenever inspiration strikes, right? They're awesome. If, if so, um, we'll get kind of into into your craft beer store here in a second. But you know, the you talk about what the place looks like and the Art Deco theme. If anybody hasn't seen the building, it's um, it's that perfect representation of you know when you think Cincinnati, you know that 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 Art Deco kind of construction. You walk in the tap room and it's it's big and it's wide and it's open. But at the same time, it feels um, a little more kind of cozy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good word no, to describe that's, it. That's you know? great. Um, you've got some really great booths for people to sit in and kind of separate into their um, their smaller groups, which is way more fitting now in the, in the COVID world that we live in than maybe before. But you know, it it you get these these pockets, these little. Um, um, places for people to kind of have conversations and spend time with each other, but still in the midst of this big kind of tap room space and um, just really, really, really well done. Everything is, um, I mean, I guess that's what happens when you spend 35 years working on a brewery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
it gets uh it, you, you tend to nail some things that maybe some other places you know um just kind of miss the the, the boat on completely but um you guys definitely nailed a whole lot here that uh thanks um i think a lot of places are going to be looking at like oh that's a good idea the way they did that we're going to kind of you know um add into our plan as they start kind of developing their own ideas yeah, um, yeah. I was just gonna say it's uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's um, I don't know how many spaces, four or five kind of distinct spaces, a space for everybody, right? We are a brewery intending to be, you know, welcome and opening for all, offering an environment for all as well. You're sitting in the dining area. This is supposed to be right down here, a pass through to our food mm-hmm. partner. Unfortunately, that didn't that didn't work out. Um, so we are still working on that. Um, and there's a staircase right there, but then there's a, another entrance, and that should be a food partner, and the pass-through will be over there. So this was always intended to be that dining area, and the couches are, are, are built accordingly. Um, and this idea kind of came to us. They, they dip at both ends and then kind of um, come into this window bench, um, super comfortable. That is mirrored on the other side, and then against the far wall, however, that is this like kind of. I always talked about it being the beautiful, the beautiful people's lounge where I wasn't allowed in. <laughs> right. Um, so the lounge couch, the serpentine couch over there, is actually a little bit deeper and a little bit lower than this right here, so that you can truly sit back and put your arm up and, and relax. Um, then obviously we have the event space where there are TVs, but there aren't TVs everywhere. Right. Right. There's two 65 inch TVs in there. It's plenty, plenty big. Right. And it has its own attraction, but we don't want TVs out in this area. That's not what it's about. Sitting and talking with your friends is exactly what it's supposed to be. Cozy up against the window, you know, and Sunday morning when the sun's coming in, these spots are roasty, you know, it's perfect on a cold day. Well, it's, you know, it's funny because, you know, they're, as I talked about people kind of taking pieces of other breweries as they, you know, kind of develop their own plans. You know, there was a big kind of move, you know, a couple of years back where people were opening tap rooms and saying, that's it. We're not putting TVs in, you know, we want a place where people can sit and talk about beer and converse with each other. And I love that. That's, I, I want that in a tap room, but then football season hits and it's like, I, I want to go watch the football game at a, at a brewery. And I'm like, but you don't have a TV. So I'm, not going to go there on that day <laughs> you know i'm going to go somewhere else that does have a tv so like that finding a way to create that that balance again i think we're going to probably use that word a lot in the sh- maybe that's the drinking game in the show every time we say balance you have to drink um <laughs> is 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 tough to do and, and maybe it's you know i'm probably going to get an email like we couldn't do it man our space wasn't big enough and i know um so i get it but you know as as places like you guys open up and you find that way to um to incorporate these these different sides of the coin that um, the, the things that everybody wants, finding a way to make everybody happy. I think uh, it's tough. Again, it's, it's, it's hard. I don't know that we fully, I don't know that we fully do it. Right. But that event space is a really cool area because um, sorry, just another piece of it. When you're in what we call the tap room, which basically ends at the, at the two great doors, you would have seen them when you, when you walked in from the back They're they're, they're open right now. So you don't mm-hmm. see them from this view, but there are two viewing windows into the brewery. Our tap room's on the first floor, and then we removed that first floor uh, where the brewery is and actually dropped all of the equipment, including the tanks and everything, through a roof hatch via a crane, and they, they have to rest on a, a good concrete footing in the basement. Right. So it's, it's, it's very separate. We want you to walk into a space that's beautiful. It's still a brewery, but you almost don't know that's there unless you go work or go looking for it. So there are glass windows 
that completely block the smell and then we can close the doors if that's what we want to do. But right. if you still want that smell, you can walk into the event space and that wall is completely open and you can smell it and look directly over. And certainly when, uh, you know, he starts mashing in, uh, oh, that's my you, favorite you smell can, in the world. You, you, you can definitely <laughs> smell it. Right. So you can get a high top against that little cutout in the wall there, which is quite big actually, and sit and watch and enjoy football. Um, and I think people, I think people really enjoy it. That's, that's awesome. Uh, again, you know, hats off to you guys for, um, for trying to find ways to meet all of those sides of the taproom experience and what people are looking for, because it really isn't easy to do. And like I, and there will be things I'm sure that people come to you and but man, I should have done this. And like, Oh my God. Yeah, we should have done that. <laughs> you know, like in those little pieces that, you know, maybe you don't think of that, um, somebody, you know, 15 years from now will create a taproom that it's like, Oh man, look at that. You know, and who would have thought that somebody can do that? But, um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. When, what's interesting is when we first opened, uh, we didn't have TVs right away and we were deciding on, you know, when, if, and how we would put them in. Like we knew we wanted them for the event space because, you know, if somebody holds a business meeting or something they need to be able to present. We wanted to have that ability for them to do so. But once again, as you mentioned, we didn't want it to be something where that was the main focus. And, um, you know, there was a few like aha moments when, you know, Patrick and I and Marvin were talking about like, I guess, overall kind of feel and look of the space. And it's, you know, if we had more space, we would want to break it up in those sections. So it's like if somebody wants to come here and sit in a corner and do work on their laptop quietly while everybody else is having a party out in the tap room, mm -hmm. we wanted to be able to create those different pockets and areas and spaces. Um, and when we first got into the building, we were actually going to take part of the corner spot and that was also going to be that kind of quiet area as well as a private event space where we could, uh, you know, close that off and they could have their own private entrance. Um, you know, obviously with funding costs for construction, we weren't able to capture that space and more for functionality. We had to be here in this space. Um, but at the end of the day, our idea of how we wanted the space to kind of come off for folks to um, really get their own experience is what we were after. Right. Always well, after. Really well done. Really, really well done. Again, maybe that's the other drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's let's go before I grab the next beer. Let's go to your craft beer story. Okay. I was going to let you take that next beer before I get to. My okay, craft well, beer we'll do story. that then. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Divine Matrix Belgian Wit. wit yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, um, before I drink this, um, I have been quoted on the show of saying that I don't like Belgian beer. So before I get into this, let's <laughs> so so let's do something first because this is kind of you and I share that feeling. All right, actually, I'm technically allergic to wheat too, so I oh, I don't. Man, that'd be tough. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> it's, it's it's not going well this week specifically. It's been a bit rough. So I don't enjoy that beer that much. Um, we do checks every morning, so if if, if needed, absolutely. But um, we did tastings. Um, just the three of us in this space when there were still holes in the floor. And I feel like when anybody ever says that, if you can get someone to explain it to you, you see it in a new light. And even if you don't like it, right? I mean, obviously you've mm -hmm. been drinking a ton of beer and so have I, but Brian had a way of explaining it that just made me appreciate it. Like may not be the right word, but appreciate and even almost, you know, seek out. So why don't you go ahead and explain the Belgian wit Sure. before I, I do my, um, your love for craft beer. Yes. Um, I would say with this Belgian wit and one thing that I've always strived as far as Belgian beers or any beers for that matter, when we talk about technique and process is 
finding what the difference is in quality and why. Um, one thing that I always felt like I couldn't find in American representations of Belgian beers is the ability to, you know, dial in not only the yeast characteristics, but the other uh, subtle nuances that might go with it. So, for instance, like a Belgian wit beer truly should be made only with un, un, uh, malted wheat. And for us, it's one thing where it's it's very difficult to do in the brewing process unless you build your system around it and even if you build your system around it that doesn't mean that it's always an easy thing to do unmalted wheat is tough to work with you can't really get the right grind size um you lose a lot of efficiency you have issues with having to step mash and do all those sorts of things but to me it's like i don't want to brew the style unless i have some sort of ability to um, operate within the parameters of what that style to should it, be. To do it the right way, and I'm making air quotes for everybody yeah, that can't yeah. see me. You know, and like, for instance, our system isn't necessarily built for step mashes or for decoction mashes, and, um, but I try to find some sort of workaround to be able to use ingredients from within those parameters to do so. So luckily with this, it's like unmalted wheat. I don't have to do a cereal mash to be able to extract the sugars. I'm not getting the best efficiency, but I can still do a multi-step mash rather than a cereal mash without having to worry about boiling the mash to um, use that ingredient so which in turn allows me to make a style that is more true to style and you know has a difference in my mind as far as what it tastes like well there are some uh, there's some belgian styles that that i've had that um are just over the top with that yeast character you get this this really strong almost a almost dirty is the way I'd always describe it. It's just, it's, there's so much of it going on and I, I, I don't always like that. Now with all that being said, I think every Belgian style that I've had on the show in the last like year, I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that's good though. <laughs> and this falls right in line with that. It's, um, there's a sweetness there that I like. It's bright, it's fresh. Um, it's, it's clean. It's not that kind of over the top estery, um, hits you over the head. It is balanced. <laughs> um, I was going to say we might need a new beer to start playing this drinking <laughs> game. <laughs> it's 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 awesome. I I enjoy this one a lot too. Again, um, one of those beers that I want to drink out in the summertime, sitting on a patio with the sun beating down on me. <laughs> that's, <laughs> hey, it's going to be real nice this weekend. We got it a patio. Is. Yep. <laughs> Seventy-two degrees and sunny, everybody. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I like this a lot. Thank you. So uh, I, I will do a run through then on uh, my craft uh, brewing history. So I mentioned already my dad worked for a German uh, wine company. My mother was also born and raised in Poland. So um, I had the, uh, the fortune of uh, spending a lot of time in, uh, in Europe when I was what a kid. What a fun household. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, very argumentative, but you know. Um, so uh, this is, I don't know, it just kind of builds the story. My, my father volunteered for Vietnam, got sent to Germany instead, and uh, probably as such I'm here. Otherwise that may have not been, uh, you know, may have not been a reality, but uh, that's where he fell in love with good German beers, especially dark German beers, and my house always had... Um, German beers, never really German pilsners, which I, uh, that's not my preference either, Czech or, or Polish, f- far far more so, but Polish pilsners, uh, Polish porters, like the, the, the sweet, uh, one of which is... Um, is 
Polish Pilsner actually some kind of substyle of Pilsner? Is there some kind of defining characteristic that makes a Polish Pilsner other than being made in Poland? There, there is definitely a flavor that's going to be unique and different. Um, uh, professionally, as an engineer, I've traveled uh, a lot in my career. I used to spend a lot of time in Germany. And God, I could not find it. A German Pilsner, <laughs> just in that region, like it, it just wasn't, just just really, really wasn't my thing. It was, uh, it, it was near Cologne, so mm-hmm. Kolsch was going to be really the thing, anyways. And Kolsch is a really finicky style for me as well. Um, just really finding one that I truly, truly, truly enjoy. Um, so uh, yeah, Polish Pilsners are just going to be a little bit sweeter, I think. Um, Czechs are my favorite, though, honestly. But then uh, there's a brand called Okochim, which mm-hmm. does a really, really amazing uh, Polish. Porter, I lived there for a few years as well, and I'm kind of over it. It's just get, you want something else at a certain point. As an avid Jungle Gym shopper, I have had that beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, at a certain point, you know, you, you just want to have something else. But um, so fridge always had that, and Dos Equis. All right, because Dos Equis is supposed to be a German family that immigrated to Mexico and made beer well, under the German kind of. Well, they made beer under the German purity law, right. and that's what my father was always about. He had sayings about the big three and about it being from a horse and the horse had bad kidneys too on top of that that was always that's what i grew up hearing as like a child right so first legal beer i bought where my palate started was stone russian imperial stout that was the first legal beer and so people thought in college like i'd i'd roll in with a six-pack of guinness for a six-pack challenge and they had you know they had a case of natty light type thing and i was like why would you drink that when you could drink this but I understand now after you know <laughs> trying to do a six pack challenge, right? So um, then, uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, lived here for a number of years, and a buddy of mine, who was also one of our first investors, started just you should try IPAs. Hey man, you should try IPAs. You should try IPAs. Try IPAs. And went on for a few years, and I finally caught the bug and uh, kind of went crazy with it. And now I'm all over the place, um, but very very seasonal um so i love our ipa it's not the thing i reach for right now i and it it is it's like birds flying south for me it absolutely kind of shocks me sometimes that it's just like my palate just is like nope (laughs) don't want any more uh lived in boston for three years um in the like beginning of fall drove out to stowe got two cases of mixed cases of um of alchemist had a fridge packed went for two weeks and then I couldn't get rid of the stuff. Like I just, I was just done. It's like we're moving into the season. I just don't want it anymore. Um, so our Dahlia Brown and the, the Porter's really coming into its own and the, and the black is beautiful. I also love doing a, uh, a black and tan. It doesn't visually separate, but we do a black and tan with the Kalima uh, coffee cream ale and the black is beautiful. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the, the story of people who grow up with beer cheers guys cheers um i it's it's fun to me because i i feel like there's a lot of people who are really into craft beer now that didn't grow up with families that were drinking you know what i consider good beer it was always kind of the, the those those big three i guess whereas now you've got all these families that are packed full of craft beer drinkers kids are being raised in this world where your local spot is a brewery it's a tap room you know on on sunday you know the kids are used to coming and sitting in a tap room and maybe playing a game and sitting with their family and you know like it's just the the culture and what that's what that's driving is um it's really exciting to me to think of what that's going to do 
for future generations of drinkers and of uh, kind of this community as a whole. And as, as that grows, it's it's fun. It's really fun. It is fun. <laughs> so when it opens, I can't I can't wait for you to get the story from uh, my buddy Nathan Ridgely. He's a uh, uh, he and I went to school together at uh, Rose Holman, and um, we were fraternity brothers. And he was an Addy Light guy. And many years later, I found out that I turned him into a beer nut. It was me showing up with the the Stone Russian Imperial Stouts, or like I used to do wine tastings, basically for for the guys and just teach them about wine and teach them about other beers that I liked. He had only ever drank Natty Light, basically. Well, he just announced he's opening up the uh, Lebanon Brewing Company. Oh, um, he raised like three hundred thousand dollars in five days or something like that. Mayor's super excited, so he'll be opening that up, but. I remember I went to a bachelor party at his house when he was living in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Walked into his basement and just like two cases of Dark Lord and two cases of this and two cases of that, you know. And they were really getting into sours and that was at that time not really my thing. So they popped a bottle of Dark Lord. They popped a bottle of uh, Black Tuesday and a bottle of Grey Monday. And I sat there with each of those by myself and poured a little bit of this, enjoyed it, poured a little bit of that, enjoyed that. And while they were off drinking sours, like, no, thank you. I am happy as can be right now. That's fun. Um, I love the uh, the ability of beer to, uh, to kind of form the backbone for these memories, too, where you, you know, when you think back to those, those nights with, with friends, you know, you... You can, especially now, when you've got, you know, great beer all around us, you remember those experiences based on, you know, these, the brewery that you were at, the beers you were drinking, the event you were at, like it becomes like this, just the center to everything now. And it's just, it's such an exciting time to, um, to be a drinker and especially in a city like Cincinnati. Yeah. It's uh, funny you mentioned that because, um, you know, a lot of what we do here, granted, you know, we love beer and we're a craft brewery. Really, that's kind of secondary, if you will, to our mission and our vision. And, um, you know, really, we base those off of, um, you know, core values. And one of those core values is fuel of tradition. So being that place where people can make said memories and, you know, have a, um, you know, a rallying point or a rallying experience to be able to, um, you know, build that community, if you will. We want people to really kind of share their own stories and be able to have that same kind of feeling. So that's one of the reasons why we didn't really focus on having TVs in the main tap room is so that people could, you know, be in that same sort of situation talking about, you know, what they've been doing together and why they're here and, you know, have that kind of excitement for wanting to come to and have their own new brewery that they're really enjoying. When did that revelation about beer happen for you guys that, it's not always just about what's in your glass. It's about the other stuff that's happening around that. I mean, I know you, you talked about, you know, coming up with this idea that you, that you could start a brewery and make that a business. But I assume at that time it was very much about, it's about the beer. It was, you know, this, this stuff is fantastic. It tastes great. I love, I love this, this, this product. Whereas, you know, you look at what it has become now. It's, I mean, not that the beer is not important, but, um, there's a lot of great beer around us. You know, the, the beer is not the, the focus of what, what people fall in love with about a place anymore. Yeah. I would say for me, it honestly was before the beer. Um, you know, I was in school to be a psychiatrist, so I always wanted to, you know, help people or make change, if you will. Um, when I decided that was, to me was more of a one track career. 
um, I have a lot of passions in my life and a lot of things I want to do. And when I kind of decided that that wasn't going to allow me to explore all these different things I'm excited about, business made sense because um, not only could you build a successful business, but from that it also becomes a launching pad either for other businesses or other connections and um, things of that nature. So um, I always knew that there was something that I could do as far as um, leverage the business for a greater purpose, Mm -hmm. whether it's for myself or for somebody else. Um, but then also find a passion within there to have fun while doing it. So when I fell in love with beer, it only made sense that I could marry that into a business and um, be able to kind of promote both, if you will. Do you think that you would have been able to create a business like this is if you had opened it faster? Like if, if then you were able to just go into it, dive into it instead of kind of the path that you ended up taking, would you have been able to create something like this? Cause it didn't, I'm going to tread very lightly because there are great breweries in Cincinnati that have done a great job of kind of marrying those two sides of what this is, but it took them a long time to figure it out and to really make it happen in a way that's, that's meaningful. It, it was, it was a hard road for a lot of people, mm-hmm. I think. And, I don't know if that was just because of the times or just the the chaotic nature of what the craft beer business can, can be sometimes. Yeah, I think it's always evolving, honestly. Um, you know, there's definitely distinct like events or locations I've been to that helped me to form and shape how I envisioned this, you know what I mean? And at the end of the day, it's not like we could have envisioned being in this cool building or having you know for instance having to take the floor out and having this cool overlook into our brewery without it just being something that had to be of function but um you know we did take some time to form a lot of what these different ideas are so there's for instance i think it's called uh the capital i could be wrong but it was in richmond virginia i went to and this is when i was probably four or five years into craft beer that they had i want to say three or 400 different, you know, bottles of beer there, just ton of beer. And their scene kind of helped me to formulate the idea of having those different pockets, if you will, because I remember I was hanging out at the bar. It was really, you know, quiet and mellow and chill, really cool bar. And then all of a sudden somebody opens this double door off the side of like one of the booths and I hear this loud rock music and there's literally a concert right next door. Like they own both spots and there's a concert going on and I couldn't hear it. But, you know, people were rocking their faces off while I'm just hanging out having a beer. (laughs) I would I went to the bathroom and downstairs was like a small pool hall. You know, it was almost like a speakeasy. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I'm having an amazing experience because if I want to go in to see the concert, if I have that kind of energy, I can go do that. I can sit here and have this beer if I want. If I want to go play pool, I can do that. It's like I was like, that's kind of how. I wanted other people to experience beer, you know, because there are times where I would go to a bar, um, you know, down in OTR or something like that, where it would be extremely busy and um, they would have an amazing beer selection and I would spend $10 on a beer that I really wanted to try. And then all of a sudden somebody's knocking into me and spilling the beer all over the place and I can't even enjoy myself. So um, I always had that idea in my mind that, you know, I want to have an experience for everybody, but at the same time, it did take a while to kind of formulate. So I don't think we would have been able to be in this position if it was right out of the gates. So I'll say, uh, 
I think it's, it's you can take all the time in the world that you want um, as long as you start with core values. That's one of the biggest things about this you will see in this place. Everything is done with purpose. Um, I don't know. If uh, if we had the, the same core values two years ago, I don't think it would have mattered. I think you would end up with the same endpoint, right? Um, we hired all of our employees based off core values. The majority of our employees have never worked in a brewery, never worked in a bar in their life. There are a few people who have, but we did not care how you could pour a beer or how well you could do that or, you know, whether you could, you know, make a drink that might be helpful right now that we have, you know, liquor <laughs> and we're trying to figure some of this <laughs> stuff out. And it's just like our old fashioned is my crazy recipe that I came up with that I frankly love. But, you know, we, we could probably use a mixologist in that. But when you start with those core values, what you're looking at is just the expression of what that is. That is going to come out in one way or another eventually. I, I think that that is the uh, the best advice that if anybody is listening to this and you are in planning of a brewery, that is the best advice that you can hear is that you've, I mean, I always tell people you've, you've got to figure out who you are before you do anything else. And you've got to really understand that. And you've always got to revisit it. And you've always got to keep it right in front of your face because it does. It defines everything else about the business. It it defines why people walk in there, how they feel when they're in there, how the people act behind the bar. Like it, it, it is everything. And uh, again, I not that you know there are places that didn't figure it out over time, but there are a lot of places that didn't have that when they opened their doors and had to kind of find a way to figure it out later in their life. And um, yeah, you have to ask what other guiding principle do you have then, right? And this is not like uh, this is what just. It, it makes it very easy to assess whether you belong or not. Um, this is why I'm here. I went through, after 10 years of working in corporate America as an engineer, like, what did I want to do and who was I really? That's why I'm here. It's the core values, right? The true belief of those core values, um, it, those are just the grounding principles. And it's very easy to ask someone, like, do you really believe in those? That's right. nothing wrong with you. That's fine if you don't. But it tells you whether or not that you belong. And that's the greatest thing that you could possibly find is if you truly align with the place that you're at. The rest comes, and it's a very humbling and a very. I appreciate you saying that as well because it reminds me of a couple things I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, think, this- <laughs> but I think also, like as you know, even as a customer, if you um, if you frequent a place that has a certain. Um, certain core value structure about it and you come in there and you've had you've had a crappy day you um you, you walked out of your house and you're you know yelling at your wife and you're you're mad about this and you hate this and you hate that and then you go and you sit down and if you have that moment then when you get to a place that that means something and you can sit down and immediately it snaps you back into that and you you can f- almost it, it forces you to remember their core values and maybe remind you either what yours are, redefine yours or something. We're getting really philosophical with it, but you know, it, I think it's really important to have those spaces as a customer too, that, um, keep you in, in track and, um, define why you do the things that you do and why you are who you are. And, um, I, this has huge potential to do that for a lot of people. And, uh, for that alone, even aside from the beer, which um, is awesome and balanced, um, <laughs> I, I think Take a that, shot everybody. that I that I, I appreciate this place a lot for um, for for what it is in that regard. So, 
um, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if anything, it's it's difficult because you're always questioning yourself and um, wondering, you know, what is your true purpose, and you know, are you really getting out of it what you're looking to achieve, and you know, is it is it being received on the other end in the same fashion? You know, are people really you know, appreciating the fact that we would like to put our uh, beer in, in like different glassware because we believe it enhances the experience or the characteristics of the beer. Or, you know, you might get somebody who just wants to chug it and get out, you know, and that's okay too. It's more so, you know, how, how well can you translate your passion to others around you so that they have that same like aha moment, if you will, that right. same kind of feeling like this place is special, like the things that you're doing is special and this makes me feel at home, makes me feel like I also have a sense of purpose here. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we work very hard at our customer service. I think that's um, it's just something after, again, ten, 10 years of uh, corporate business travel, 70% of the year, basically, for the last decade. It's like you, it's not that, you know, it wasn't a good experience. It was it was quite awful, actually, even flying business class around the world type thing. But it's like you start to realize the right way to do things and the, right. and the wrong way to do things. Perfection is not achievable. We, we strive for it, but for me, it's about what you do the moment something goes wrong. That is what customer service is about. Um, and that's what I um, try and instill in all of our folks. And can't tell you the number of times that we walk over to, to CVS just to get something. Like, hey, do you guys have any nuts? No, sorry, we don't. It's a great point. Like, actually, I've spent probably an hour on, like, Cisco.com trying to find, like, just just to buy something, right? Sometimes as a business, it's not the easiest thing. People wanted nuts. And I walked over got them what they were looking for. Um, I don't think I, I mean, I didn't even charge them for it. I mean, what is it to me versus the experience that they had, right? right? That's, that's, that's very much how we run our business in you know, kind of any aspect. Um, well, it's, it's easy to have, uh, especially when you're talking about something where people are hanging out and drinking and that loosens people up anyways. And it's, it's easy to have fun in a mediocre experience if you're drinking with your friends, but it's, it, as a, as a business, it's easy to, cut a corner here and cut a corner there and still have people that are that are happy and enjoying themselves but eventually if you do that enough it takes enough away from things that it it, it ruins it and all of a sudden people take a step back and look at it like oh man this this sucks like this isn't what i wanted you know i i, I want this other thing and um it, it's it's difficult to uh, kind of keep yourself on that track sometimes and when it is so easy to cut a thing here, cut a thing there, you know, glassware or whatever it is, you know, you, those little things um, may not make the difference alone, but the big picture of all of them makes all the difference, I think. I don't think people write that off, like, right from the get-go. I think they consider the hassle that it could or could not be, right? right? Um, I just don't, I don't look at it that way. I mean, the hassle of like, well, you're gonna let people taste your beer. Like, what's the policy on that? We there the the only rule on the floor is use good judgment. That's it. That's all right. I want you to do. If you're making the customer happy, we have nothing to ever talk about. If you gave them, you know, if you had to comp a beer because of a situation or something like that, did you make the customer happy? You don't need to answer to me. Um, I always tell our taproom team members that you know you only work for me if you're if you're not doing your job. Otherwise than that, I want you to approach this like you're an entrepreneur and you're running your own little business inside of our business. 
and do what you would want to do make right. you know and 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 make the customer happy with that um i lost my train of thought <laughs> so um let's talk about the mystic let's, english pale ale that yes. you have in front of you um kind of kind of styled in the direction of Fuller's ESB which um, if I had to put like a top five list people will probably laugh at me for this but Fuller's ESB just a completely underappreciated beer I struggle with it though because it's hard to find one that has been treated right by the time it gets here okay that's fair I I get a lot of you Again, know, we talked about my sensory being you know, terrible, like right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is this is delicious. It's amazing. It's you know, I think um, if somebody sees you know the term pale ale and something, they get this vision in their head of what that means because of the the world we live in. And um, this is 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 balanced <laughs> yeah so it's, it, it's not over the top with with any kind of um hoppiness it's a, the earthy side of hops the um a little bit of floral kind of notes it's that nice sweet multi body you know just real easy drinking it's one of those things that you want in a in a growler a crowler just to kind of just sit and just drink all night while you're you know um watching football or hanging out with your friends or whatever it may be it's it's a it's a drinking beer yeah. Or or a two gallon keg. Yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> or, or little Sebastian. <laughs> little Sebastian. We have a little Sebastian two gallon keg. I think that was the second two gallon keg I uh, I took home, and man, that was sweet. It was so so good at home. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting when you talk about you know, or when we talk about just balance and balanced beers and whatnot. It's like. I think there's always a time and place for a lot of these things and um, you know for our core beers I want it to be representative of the style so that people can appreciate for what the style might be under how I kind of view that recipe Um, but there's also once we get into more limited release styles and kind of like grouping if you will of certain styles whether it's like our barrel age series or sour series um, I wanted always wanted to make a series where it was something that was more yin and yang where it wasn't that it was balanced but you either got one or the other and maybe we even put that into like a four pack or six pack so you can literally see the opposite ends of the spectrum so that you could get something that was completely unbalanced but still in its own right something that is um, good so like whether it's like a double or triple IPA which is going to just completely wreck your palate um, versus something that might be like you know a um you know subtle lager if you will you know just so people could you know have an idea for some of the extremes if you will there's something fun too about you know in hops i guess are the easy way for me to kind of um to to showcase it but you know with a with a big you know double ipa that's loaded with one type of hops it it tells you what that is what that flavor is it's hard as a beer drinker if you only drink beers that are subtle and balanced to to figure out what those components are. And I think that that helps you kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like and what you're into. If you can really kind of identify those, those kind of those single flavors. And I think sometimes the, uh, the unbalanced side of things helps you do that. So there is, there is value in, in non balance too, I guess. I think without, Mm -hmm. without non balance, you can't have balance. Um, this 
reminds me of uh, when I was in my IPA kind of craze and journey. That's when I moved. My wife and I moved to uh, Poland, and um, there was the only type of IPAs were like British IPAs, which they should have a. I mean, sorry, I was going to say they should have a different name, but they invented it first. <laughs> should take their oh, name. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly sorry. <laughs> um, they were they were British IPAs, which were the true assassins. Yes, I know, I know. I have a flag, and you don't. Um, the, the truest form of a you know of a of a British IPA, and it just wasn't really hitting the spot. And then we stumbled upon Brewdog, who was nothing at that point, just distributing to mainland Europe, but still just very unheard of and I will ne- I will never forget the series I can visualize sitting at the table it was called the IPA is dead a four pack of four IPAs with the same um, exact hmm I don't know if they were I don't know if it was the same mash and then they were all boiled with different hops and then dry hopped with different hops. I can't remember or mm-hmm. if it I think it was the same base beer all the way through fermentation and then on dry hopped. They chose a different hops for each of the four bottles and you walked through them and it blew my mind about how different they tasted. That's what I love about beer. That just like that's one of the reasons I love IPAs is because the the immense variety of hops and the potential to change the flavor like that. Our our Lotus IPA tasted like mango juice when it was in the fermenter, and I didn't want to like take <laughs> the glass away from my face type thing. Um, Brian dry hopped it, um, and that mango completely disappeared. What we got was this just really incredible West Coast IPA, very, very true to style, but I was like, I, I'm going to kill you if you don't bring me that mango juice back type thing. Um, which we now are. Yeah, which we're, you know, we're going to do like a hazy pale ale with it, but it's just like, my goodness, it's just such an incredible sign. Like, how did that happen? Like, it, I thought I was eating mangoes, like, out of the fermenter, and it completely disappeared because of that. Just how that can happen is amazing to I'm me. I'm remembering some kind of mixed 12-pack from somebody like Sierra Nevada or Sam Adams or somebody where they took one of their big kind of flagship IPAs, double IPAs, something, and broke it into, you know, three or four beers that were made with different hops that were in that beer. So you had a couple of, you know, the the beer and then a couple beers that were just like almost components of that beer and kind of broken down and now i can't remember where it was or who it was or anything though it's another one of those things that i'm going to be thinking about all night now <laughs> i think um and uh, folks you heard it you heard it here first i was already talking to ryan guys about it but i i, I want to do a cincinnati version of beer camp like i don't know why the city isn't doing it more Especially for smaller breweries, maybe that's a little bit you know selfish. But people who don't have bottling lines or canning lines, but doing a beer camp of Cincinnati only, um, I, I, you you try to do as many breweries as you as you right. can, but at least twenty four breweries where you collaborate. I think it would be fun to do that exactly, where everybody gets the same base beer and they get like one hop different on everything, and just walking your way through the twelve pack of beers, it just wow like how it changes from beer to beer right or even just you know some kind of just give everybody a style and say do do your version of this style you know do what you think this is and have people kind of walk through like 
how that style can be interpreted very different ways yeah. and you really get the personality of places doing that it'd be fun I, if people still have it uh, if they still have it black is beautiful would be a good good way to do that yeah. you heard it here first trademark <laughs> <laughs> but doing like doing that 12 pack of uh, um you know, uh, or doing it like east side, west side type thing, and you have to drive to one side or the other to get that that side breweries of the beer. But well, every, everybody would, doing black is beautiful. It wouldn't be very fair if you did east side, west that, side. There's okay, like three all right, breweries on the we'll, we'll split. We'll split Cincinnati in some other weird, weird angle type thing. <laughs> Got to go like north and south or something like that, where you know there it's uh, you can get a little even numbers. <laughs> um, what's this next one here? Uh, Dolly, Dolly Brown. Brown. So. Uh, Brother sister with the Mystic English Pale Ale because yeast and um, one of there's yeast and something else is very similar. Uh, this, you're probably thinking the gluten aspect, maybe. No, I'm not thinking the gluten. When I when I was looking at the tasting cards, and the yeast is the same, mm-hmm. right? It might be the hops, some of the hops. Yeah, hops. Thank you. Yeah. And the hops, and it has a rel- I mean, arguably potentially a, re- a relatively similar grain bill, but other than the fact that there is for the chocolateness and then there's obviously a color correction in there but um when when i don't know those two connect very very well for me it's very you know you mentioned chocolate and now that's you know exactly what i'm tasting is this nice round chocolate flavor um great you know brown ale it it, it sits right where where it should it's you know it is you know styles get so lost these days and i think that people people have a hard time defining what things are to them especially kind of newer craft beer drinkers who kind of came about in this crazy world of um trying to redefine styles i think um which is a whole thing on itself of people trying to put their own stamp on everything instead of just just making beer and you guys this is all everything that i'm tasting is just exactly what that beer is supposed to be for me it's it's really 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 well done i think that's one of the difficulties of being very traditional people expect more sweetness can yeah can expect more sweetness right like i um, I don't know if you brewed that for. I don't think you. Brewed, I, I think you brewed it for me. Let's just say it. Okay? <laughs> I don't think you brewed it for me. What, the so. brown ale. <laughs> no, yeah, the, the, the brown ale because I. That's the thing I talk about more than anything else. Like you, I go to a brewery and I just. I love everything else, but I. I would hunt for a for a brown ale. Like who is doing one and who is doing one well? Like really, really well with no. Additives or adjuncts? I think it's additives, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very yeah, we, long we discussions about, about adjuncts, We can have our own yeah. podcast about <laughs> adjuncts versus additives, but just by itself, people are like, "Oh, you should really try esoterics nut brown." It's like, That's "Fine, there's no nut in it. It's not. It's not a nut brown. It's just just a brown, right? Any nuttiness you get from it, any chocolateness you get from it, simply from from the grain bill or comes from the yeast. I mean, it's um, that that brown is." makes me so happy and that is still the first beer we ever made which you just tasted um first batch there's a there's a new batch that's uh coming on in the next couple of days but still the first beer we ever made right there it's it's awesome it's it's wonderful it fits more into a day like today where it's cold outside and uh you know <laughs> so you start to um feel the seasonality of what's happening mm-hmm. outside yeah what's interesting is i wasn't even thinking about making a brownie on the initial lineup and 
um, you know, you kind of try to plan your styles to the season to some degree, you know, brewing an Imperial Stout in 90 degree weather, it's not going to sell very well. Not a lot of people are looking for that style. And, but for me, it's like, I can't feel like I have a well-rounded portfolio without some version of a dark beer. And, um, to me, like brown ale was the, probably like the lightest of the darker styles to put out there. And I was like, you know what? I've made one, um, working with mad tree where, um, you know, one of the guys that we were doing, it was, um, what was that series? The, uh, understory series, or like, sometimes we do like one barrel one offs. He wanted to do a brown ale and then somebody else wanted to do a brown ale. So I had, I made a couple there and I was like, you know what? I kind of want to make just a brown ale without anything extra. Like one of the guys wanted like a trail mix brown ale. So we added cocoa nibs and, a few other things and you know i was really kind of like patrick was say, saying just like jonesing for just a regular brown ale and i was like you know what this is going to be um you know maybe one of the first beers of brew and if anything talking to um our equipment manufacturers they always said you know brew something that is going to give you a good idea for your efficiency like long term so that you can build off of that because if you go in and brew something light you're most likely going to get great efficiency, great mash, not have any like laudering issues, really not know how to dial in your grain crush and, um, you know, brewing on the first time to be able to, um, try to hit our numbers, whether it's for volume or for efficiency, uh, try to brew something middle of the road, if you will. So, you know, Amber was always, uh, on my mind, but, you know, having that dark beard, I figured a brown mm-hmm. ale would be, be a good option. And, um, this is the one we went with. Um, it's, it's great. It, uh, it is, do you think that, um, or why do you think that it seems that there are so many brewers that do want to kind of just put their own spin on things? They, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are happy just to, to make a, a straight up brown ale or an English pale ale or everybody wants something that's different i guess they just want they want to redefine all of this stuff over and over and over again yeah and what's interesting because i was thinking about this will uh earlier with the brown ales within each style there's a lot of variants so um you know the brown ale for instance can be something that has a little bit more of that like toasted uh character and like dark chocolate notes where it could also be lighter and be more like a uh what is that a newcastle where it has more of that like nuttiness if you will you can make it where it has some english flair or you can do an american version and you can you know dry hop it or add uh, stronger notes of hops to create something different and like maybe something that has a lot more resin to it um so i think within each style even brewing it traditionally will allow you to and the brewer to have its own interpretation so even though you know it's just a run-of-the-mill brown ale if you will it's still something that within its own right and um you know being from a simplistic standpoint can showcase uh more beauty if you will so um, i always like to equate um or compare beer to food and i'm trying to think of the um the right uh food it's um it's not a white sauce it's something italian that um man it's gonna drive me crazy but it's like a it's like not fettuccine but um alfredo Alfredo. yeah like i think real alfredo doesn't have any cream in it whatsoever but it's been 
over time, especially from an Americanized version, just been made to have that, if you will. I think normally it's just like butter and uh, Parmesan and something else, but it's no cream in there. And something as simplistic and easy as that can, you know, if you have the right raw ingredients and your raw ingredients has a great base to it first, you can bring out a lot more, um, you know, characteristics and like flavors that you didn't think possible from just like three or four ingredients. So to me, it's more so working within the confines of the uh, ingredients and seeing what I can coax out of them before I move to putting anything else in it. If I can trying to find that good base and that balance, as we say, and, um, work from there. Yeah. It, I struggle with it sometimes because, you know, there you can do no better for me with food as just a, a big steak, you know, just cooked perfect, just on a plate, salt and pepper, nothing else. But then sometimes you go somewhere and it's got some kind of crazy weird sauce on top of it. And that that is good, too. But like it, I, I don't know. I, I, I want... I, I I guess you need you do need both sides of it. You need to create that. You need to you need to have places that are doing the 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 traditional for the places that are kind of putting their own spin on it to be able to shine. If the traditional isn't there, the other things don't mean as much to me. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with a great sauce on a steak. Like I, my real huge passion is barbecue and and and, and grilling. Um, and uh, I've bounced back and forth between, you know, high heat. Uh, I, I have a big green egg. I've had it for a, a number of years. And then I have sous vide as well. Do I want to sous vide it first and then and then grill it? It's like you get the real true flavor when you just grill it at like 700 degrees. But I always make my steak mushrooms at the same time. And people look forward to both. Okay? If you cover your steak in ketchup, it tastes like ketchup. What was the purpose <laughs> of the, you might as well just put it on a plate and eat the plate with ketchup but that's what you want right that's kind of my you know if you want to cover an a1 sauce it's a1 sauce so add your sauce absolutely if you want it but again can you taste all pieces of it do you know that you're eating if you closed your eyes would you know what you were drinking that's that's the question i i, I would ask yeah it's that's it, it's interesting it's it's between this conversation tonight and then like I said last week with uh, with cartridge it's got me you know thinking about the things that I'm drinking and and kind of what they really are a little bit more this week and um, and I, I think that does like when people ask me what I want now that does definitely drive my decision and my behavior because I've really started to think about it right so it's not like uh, I don't know it's Sometimes like, do I truly believe this, you know, or uh, yeah, I absolutely do. But when you really, when you, again, when you really start thinking about it and really focusing on it, you start hearing or uh, kind of not hearing, sorry, tasting something different. Just have you ever just listened to music, the same song over and over and over again. And then just that one time sought after the drum line or sought mm -hmm. after the bass line instead of the guitar solo or the person who's singing, it becomes something totally different. You're Again, when we were talking about the Belgian wit, you start to appreciate it in a different way you never thought about it. And then it's that thing that you really start to really, really want and consider. And it's like, right. oh, there's a lot more to it. If you just do it traditionally and you really focus on those flavors and you stop and take the, take the time rather than just trying to, I mean, unfortunately, cover it up or rush through it or 
put something else in there to actuate, you know, to excuse me, accentuate something else, right? Just focus on focus on what's there. Yeah. Yeah. And what's what I also find interesting. It's funny that, um, you know, and I think this comes back to your ability to just appreciate, um, you know, the craft beer scene in all that it has to offer is like Patrick said earlier, he was drinking a, um, our Belgian blonde, the one actually that you're sipping on right now was, it was the Belgian blonde, right? That you were drinking. Was it with no uh, basil? Uh, you were, but it was with basil, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Out of a, uh, out of a goblet, which is what we're going to use for our Belgian double and quad. And we put our Belgian, um, blonde and, um, are going to be our Belgian triple in a tulip glass. And, you know, each glass is supposed to provide different, um, aspects or enhance different aspects of the beer that, you know, we like to see or put forth, if you will. And for instance, the Belgian blonde isn't supposed to, um, you're not going to get as much out of it at, in the goblet in, let's say in my mind, but Patrick was drinking out of, out of the goblet and his appreciation for it is able to grow in one aspect or another. Um, and I remember there was this, uh, time where the reason I bring this up is there was this time I was at a friend's giving and I had brewed a homebrew stout and I was drinking it out of my glass. And then, you know, it's a large party. So there's people drinking out of all kinds of stuff. And one of my friends had it out of a uh, ball jar and like, uh, that's all that was available was like a ball jar. And like, I, I went to drink out of it for whatever reason, this is obviously pre COVID and we could share drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was, drinking out of it and it blew my mind because for whatever reason by being in that ball jar now hopefully the ball jar was clean and maybe there was no black cherries in it but all i got was black cherries like not all but that was a very large um you know large nose and aroma that was coming off this beer that i couldn't smell in my glass and to me that just blew my mind that just going from one vessel to another could change the beer entirely um, a lot of people say the same thing when you talk about warming the beer up or letting it, you know, ser- having it at a serving temperature is that you're going to hopefully walk through a journey as you're drinking the beer that is going to change over time. And then the same is true as the beer ages or oxidizes. There's a lot of subtle nuances that you might not be able to get. So at the end of the day, you know, being able to appreciate the beer for what it is, you know, is probably the most important thing that I like to think. That is one of my favorite aspects of beer is how much any, you know, name any beer, how much that changes depending on, you know, what you're drinking it out of, but also where you're drinking it and who you're drinking it with, what the weather's like outside, what you had for lunch, what you're eating with, like all of those things change that beverage so much to me that it's like there's an endless amount of things you can get out of the same beer. You could drink... I wouldn't want to, but you could drink the same beer for the next six months and just put yourself in different situations and different uh, different contexts with different people and different foods and really like dig into that beer and, and learn a whole bunch of other things about it that you wouldn't have otherwise. And um, one of my favorite one of my favorite things about beer, I, I, I love that um, that ability of it to uh, it fits in just as good, you know, sitting at you know the ballpark in a plastic cup um baking in the sun as it does out of an aluminum can sitting in the woods around a campfire like that same drink kind of just fits wherever it is and whatever you know context it's in it's just it's so much fun to me i love it 
Um, talk about this Belgian blonde a little bit. We uh, we're running over time, but um, the internet won't kick us off. I don't think. Yeah. So. so I'm gonna I'm gonna put Brian on the spot here. The one of the people when I'm you know taking an order, uh, they read the description and it and it says bubble gum, um, and that throws a lot of people. Like, oh, I don't know if I want to try that. And it's like, well, <laughs> your sensory is probably like my sensory, so you're not gonna get bubble gum. You'll be I have, fine. I have tried Belgian blondes and and some Belgian beers where that, that whatever that I think it's a, a yeast that gives that off of it, but mm-hmm. that it comes just over the top like a like a truck hitting you. And I get it a little bit here, but not not no, nearly. Nothing, <laughs> no, no, nothing incredible. Yeah, and it it gets subdued over time. I've noticed that bubble gum kind of relaxes a little bit as the beer ages. And if anything, a lot of Belgian beers, um, you know, I I appreciate them more over time than I do fresh. Um, and what's interesting is once you get to the Belgian Double, that one's been conditioning for four weeks after fermentation intentionally before we release it because we want it to give you what we believe to be the best of itself to start. You know, we don't want to start it off fresh and then it gets better over time. And you had the first version of it. We want your first impression to be, um, you know, what we what we believe to be its best version, if you will. But uh, the Belgian Blonde, the ethereal is um, honestly, it's one of the styles that I used to drink all the time. It's something that I've kind of gotten away from a little bit just because my palate is leaning more towards darker flavors. Um, I'm more of a Belgian quad fan, um, stouts, porters, you know, that's my thing now. But this one is, um, I think, one of my favorite Belgian beers is um, Ashouf, which is actually that yeast strain. Um, and it was always something that one's a little bit of a stronger blonde. I think they also classify it maybe like a golden ale. It's not a golden uh, strong ale, but um, regardless, I'm more of one who loves esters rather than phenolics. I think phenolics can get too much in the way of. I still cannot understand the difference between esters and phenolics. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to me, the esters are the fruity, um, perfumey kind of tones that you get with it. It's the bubble gum. It's the um, you know citrus that you can get from some of those. Where the phenolics, they can go anywhere from black pepper spice to band aid and. Uh, medicinal, And I think that's one of the reasons why phenolics I don't agree with as much is because I've had a lot of beers over time that are so heavily phenolic, they just come off like you're drinking antiseptic mouthwash, you know, and I just, you know, once I have that in my head, it's hard for me to appreciate what that style it can can Mouthwash definitely sounds not as tasty as (laughs) delicious. Right. So... Um, yeah, that beer is uh, almost 7% alcohol. It's supposed to be, you oh know, Lord. yeah, it's supposed to be one of those ones where it's like the start of our core lineup of Belgian beers because I wanted to be able to produce the double, uh, triple, and quad. But um, I needed something that was a little bit on the lighter side to kind of kick it off. And brewing a Belgian single, I honestly haven't ever done that before. I've only read about it and eventually want to be able to make one of those. But it was a lot easier to, from a traditional standpoint, to do the blonde than it is a single. It's, it's delicious. I, and again, it, it's funny because, you know, I, I've spent so much time in the past saying that I dislike Belgians. <laughs> Every time I drink one, it's like Belgian style. Sorry. Before I get the, the angry email, you're not drinking Belgians because you're not in Belgium. Um, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy them. Like I like, but they're just not, it's not those flavors that just, you know, kind of dominate and, um, and, and, and kind of take over the palate and kind of, hide everything else everything is really well balanced 
just take a <laughs> shot. <laughs> um, so, so this is with basil. It's yeah. St- yeah, steeped in basil. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes we get the question like, "Where's the basil leaf in my glass?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't make that very clear." We're, <laughs> we're not want, prepping fresh basil. They want the garnish. Yeah. No garnish. Oh, that's neat. Because mm. again, it's not. It's not over the top. I feel like I've said that for every yep. beer. Um, this would be really good with food. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this would pair really nicely and kind of pull some of those other flavors out of there that I I, I can taste in there that I know that are there, but um, are, are are not, again, kind of over the top. And um, I think some different foods would pull out some things that maybe you don't get that uh, are there. That's, I, that's fun. So time for uh, uh, Patrick's... Uh Sensor is terrible. Check. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't smell the basil. I don't taste the basil. It's just. It is a distinctly different beer to me. I just. I. I, I do like it more than the regular one. But that is. I, I don't know. I can see myself drinking that all year round without question. Not okay. Not in the middle of the summer, behind it. You know, hundred degree heat, behind a barbecue grill type thing. But at the end of the night, when it's slowing down, absolutely. That's just uh, it. It definitely the seven percent sneaks up on you really could, yeah, easily. It, it drinks really easy. Yeah. Um, when you you talk a lot about creating beers that are balanced, that uh, that don't that don't dominate one way or another. The you know that that you know that 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 simplicity almost of it. What makes a beer special if it's if it fits into kind of that balanced category what what makes it stand out for you what makes it uh what makes it speak to you versus um something that is kind of knocking you around a little bit yeah um that's a hard question to answer uh i would say and once again kind of comparing to food it's always kind of chasing that that um the right combination if you will like i drink all these beers and i'm always thinking like oh i think i could change that a little bit it will make it better i could change that a little bit and sometimes when you think about you know cooking food so let's go back to the steak example you know you could get it really close to medium rare but maybe it was just slightly <laughs> over or it you're talking didn't. about the reason it takes me like 14 hours to make a pot of chili yeah <laughs> always a tweaking little, a little yeah. bit of this right and you know <laughs> your, your two children must be starving at home <laughs> they just but, eat hot dogs and <laughs> cheese <laughs> But if it's like, you know, you make that steak and it didn't have enough salt or it had too much, you know, you want to go back and try it again. And it's like, where do you find that line where it's like right on the spot where you have enough sweetness to bitterness ratio, where you have all the different aspects you're looking for, but none of them dominate, but still can be something that you are looking for and can appreciate, if you will. So I think for me when I am trying to make these styles, if you will, and I'm trying to, um, you know, do R and D and see how my palate is. If I, if it's on that day, it's really just kind of seeing if I add a little bit more of this or subtract a little bit more of that, will it bring it more in line with being a cohesive statement, if you will. I mean, balance is really perfection, right? That's really what you're all, I mean, no matter if you're making a big, uh, breakfast out or something like that. It has a lot of strong flavor. Like you could argue there's a lot of beers that have a lot of strong flavors in them, but I, I would still say that you're, you still should be shooting for balance, right? 
I mean, otherwise, why not just again with the I don't know to this. I'm, I'm a very exaggerative person. I think about things in the extremes so that I know where the middle is. But right. again, if you're going to cover your steak in ketchup, then just eat ketchup. Right. So uh, to, to me, what I'm always searching for is that is that perfection of balance. You get all the different pieces, but there's nothing that's just kind of like kind of busting its way through without the other still being there. But even even within that balance, you can you can change out those pieces and, and then rebalance almost like mm. it's hard to kind That's of, fair. you know, you can cut a, a circular pie multiple different ways. It's still, it's still a circle, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah That's fair. I don't know. It's, it's, it's it makes it fun. I, yeah, I yeah. It, the, um, I mean, I guess that's if, if, if the perfect, you know, Pilsner was created with Pilsner or Kel, why do people still make them? You know, if, if, if that was it and that was the only way to do it, then you don't need to make them anymore. But <laughs> you know, like it's, it's this, this constant, this constant quest to see maybe if, if you can change something or do something different mm. or, you know, create something that is different, I guess. Oh man, I did that last week too, where I didn't mute the thing, and now I have to go in and edit all those little dings out when they come. On. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about for for breweries? Like when you walk into a tap room, what makes a tap room special versus? I mean, obviously, aside from your own and what you guys have done here, but um, I imagine at this point you've you've been to a lot of different tap rooms, and there's places that you like and places that you didn't like. What makes a tap room itself, like the space, special? Um, That's a great question. I yeah, just, I think it, think about that sometimes. Yeah, I think it's sometimes. I mean, there I, sometimes it's not even the space. It might be the food, for instance, or um, I, I would say if it's the space, honestly, it's probably the people. Yeah, it's probably the atmosphere of not only who's uh, drinking there, like the crowd that's there, but also the people working there. Um, you know, are they the kind of people who are willing to kind of like give you the experience you're looking for, which to me leaks, you know, that can change daily depending on what I'm doing. Um, but, um, being able to talk to folks and appreciate what their, um, what they see as their kind of vision for their space. Um, you know, I feel like if I can't really get that information, I will be, um, I wouldn't say less likely to like come back, but more so I, I won't have the same level of appreciation because I would, I want to know the story. I want to know something more than just, you know, me coming in and ordering an IPA and trying it and saying, Oh, that was good. And then leaving. Right. I'm trying to think of, I, I can think of the Funkatorium in Asheville had that experience. People, and, and, you know, kind of initial greeting customer service and then Jester King in Austin for me just a truly different experience the space jester king the space was a lot to do with it but like the fact that you waited in line for almost ever to get a beer and you still really 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 enjoyed the experience that 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 says something about it well you know i think about like you know Asheville. you you go to sierra nevada down there and i don't i can't picture like a situation there where i had like any kind of incredible experience with the people or anything like that. But you, you know, the space itself is just so cool and it's just like such this really great, you know, um, place to go sit and hang out with your friends and drink some beer. And, you know, uh, there's something about that that resonates too with me. And I can't, I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, you know, there's there's some places that I walk into. That I'm like, ah, oh, this is just you know whatever. Somebody just threw a couple of picnic tables in a room and um, and called it a brewery. And, and then there's other places where I walk in and I sit at a couple of picnic tables. I'm like, this place is amazing. I love this. <laughs> I'm like I can't. You know, it's, it's 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 very strange to me trying to trying to understand why some things resonate with me and then others don't. And um, I don't know. I think if they're true to their identity, then it's a lot easier to appreciate their space and what they're going after because, once again, they're kind of being true to themselves. And if that comes through, then you can kind of feel their passion. You can appreciate a little bit more. Um, I remember there was one down in, I think it's Nashville, when went down for CBC, but it's called Pretentious. Um, and I mean, of course it is what it sounds like. They are very pretentious, but almost in a sarcastic way. So like a lot of their names and the things that they do are just over the top, but it's also funny and you know, they're just, you know, happy go lucky guys who just want to make good beer and hang out and have fun. But at the same time, not feeling ashamed to like poke fun and just like, you know, just take a couple of jabs right. at whatever it might be politics or something like that within their no, beer let's names. Let's not talk about yeah. this week, yeah, please. No. <laughs> but it's it's definitely it's uh, it's interesting. But it was it was a good experience, and I really appreciated them for you know who they were because they knew who they were and they weren't going to change. And it's like that's awesome. Like I can't I can't fault you for wanting to be who you are, and I can you know have that appreciation for it. Yeah, I think, you know, again, talk, going back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, just figuring out who you are, owning who you are, and then building everything around that. If you, you know, it, it, it may not be what everybody wants, but it, if you believe in who you are and what you stand for and what your your space is, um, you just hope that other people kind of agree with it and, and resonate with that idea and um i think that if you're if you stay true to who you are there will be somebody that 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 does appreciate that and falls Mm -hmm. kind of into that also um this is the double yes yes correct have we made a name for it uh i think we were going with a cult but her here first yeah a cult i think so yeah mysterious it is one of those styles that not many people have really ever had if you will um i think unless you were beer enthusiasts is probably something haven't heard of i would think a lot more uh caramely kind of notes for me mm-hmm. again as far as you know belgian styles go, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it makes a liar out of myself when i say that i don't like them because that's good um i'm curious which ones you've had yeah. <laughs> well, I would have to. I would actually have to go back and listen to old episodes. Yeah. And try to figure out the ones that I was trying. That I'm like, I really don't like that. But oh. I probably wouldn't have said it on the show either. So then I have to listen to my voice and try to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Like, I have to. I have to figure out what those cues dive, are. Dive through some old untapped check-ins or something. I don't know. I don't know how I would figure that out anymore. But um, I mean, if you're curious, it's not like the best, you know, necessarily in the in the in the world for. But anybody who's curious about it, I would go buy the Saint. However you pronounce, it, but the Saint Bernardus six pack at jungle gyms or wherever else you can buy it and just walk through it 
if you come to the end of that six pack with all the variety that's in there and you say, I don't like a single one of these, then I think you can say that you don't like Belgian <laughs> beers. Well, you know, the the very idea of saying I don't like Belgian beers is, is insane because of yeah. how many different beers there are yeah. in, in Belgium. So it's it's the whole thing is not fair. And I recognize that. Well, but it is a very distinct. <laughs> it's a very distinct taste that I struggled with for a long time. I always used to like pull spinach out or like a vegetable or sorry, a vegetal. Right. Mm-hmm. Characteristic um, that I've now come to really kind of enjoy. It just depends on how it comes across, right? right? I have some very early memories of some Belgian beers that were just just super. I could just never get like lunchroom spinach, not not cream spinach, you know, just like just wilted spinach <laughs> out of my mind. That flavor, right? right? You used to laugh at me for that description. <laughs> just kind of that characteristic, uh, you know, kind of I, I got from them, but. They have, when we started talking about Belgian beers, um, I mean, I, I went to Jungle Gyms and bought them out of the, bought them out of Fuller's ESB and bought them out of their, out of their St. Bernardus um, mixed six packs, basically. And that's just what I drank for like three or four months at home. I loved it. I, um, <clears throat> when I was just getting out of college, I dated a girl that was obsessed with um, St. Saint, Bernardus, or as I always said, it's St. Bernardus. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm again censoring English. Two of my I don't know how to. <laughs> and um, it, again, at the, at the time, I'm like, oh, I, I really don't care about Belgian beers. They're not that you know, they're not my thing. And um, she just wouldn't let it go, and just kept buying it and kept buying it. And eventually, I started to really enjoy it. And I'm like, well, okay. So is it that I didn't like it? Is it that my palate's changing? Is it that I just never drank enough of it to appreciate it? Is it? I don't know it you know beer is beer is a uh, a journey within itself and um yeah kind of finding your place within this this giant world of what craft beer is mm-hmm. um you guys have been through a ton in the process of opening esoteric which we didn't even kind of really dive into the story kind of how this all happened and um all of all of, you know all of the trials and tribulations but um if there was a place that was new that was starting today or not starting today that was in the process is there any advice that you would give people that are trying to uh trying to do something like this other than don't do it go uh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love our space. Um, I love the nuances of the building and the space. I don't think I would ever recommend anybody opening up a brewery in a space like this. I, I mean, honestly, like just as an engineer, just the building itself, just the difficulties, just of- the nuances, of, just the cost, the, the, the nuances of it. The fact that we still don't have a dock door and every yeah. grain pallet last gets week we were at cartridge and they're laughing at you right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, yeah the old Peter's cartridge factory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tons of dock 1800s, doors. 1800s. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they, they have, they have like first floor dock doors where they can drive a forklift in type thing. I think like so. I believe so. We, I mean, we have a man door. So uh, all the kegs, all the grain, everything gets depalletized outside, de-stacked, <laughs> Onto a single pallet, it's basically a three-to-one process because you can't restack it as well as it was shrink-wrapped, right? So you need a ton of pallets. That's just like, um, I, I don't know. I mean, at the same time, though, if I found somebody with an identity that was like ours and they really wanted something different, I'd tell them to go for it. I would just give them the warning. Um, and then I think the other thing, trying to think of, it's no different than like if you're going to build a home. you got to be involved in every day. Um, we fought very hard on our on our cost structure. We had a very very large budget. 
um, over $2 million. And um, I think we had $1,500 in overruns. That's if you if you want to do it, if you really, really want to do something different and you want to spend the money, you, you have to pay attention to it. Um, yeah, that's like uh, come and ask questions. You can, you can give them my name. I'm more than happy to tell them the vendors uh, that I like and the vendors I don't like. At the same time, there is there is just so much more that comes from. And again, not that I not the places that have started with new construction and done their thing that way. Not that there's anything wrong with that because that's the that has its advantages obviously but there's something about the personality and the soul of a old building and putting something in it that just um that that resonates so much harder with me than so great point okay it's got to be part of your identity if your identity is not about that don't go looking for an old building our our our, our lotus and our logo is about the fact that a lotus can grow in a very harsh environment and it can grow out of a very, very, very harsh environment, right? This building, the ceiling was collapsed and falling in on itself, the building had to be completely redone. What we walked into was a white box space, but the floor, you could still put your foot into the basement, basically. It still needed a lot of work. <laughs> that connects to our identity. And again, Brian mentioned our greater purpose. We're passionate about beer. We make beer, we sell beer to make money, but we we are about something much greater for you know our our community and and kind of humanity out, outside of these doors. That's that's what we're about. So absolutely, if it matches with um, who you are, go for it. We always talk about you know I don't know this is people talk about sellouts, right? Let's uh, <laughs> let's say that Inbev shows up tomorrow and they say you know we want to buy you. Uh, you know my terms would be okay, you're going to go find 25 other neighborhoods and buildings just like this, and we're going to repeat. You better well damn believe I'd do it over again 25 times because of what it does, because of the greater purpose. Then in that case, absolutely. I, I, you know, I would do it again. I would tell anybody who wanted to do something like this, go for it. Well, little did you guys know when you started the project that the uh – the disaster of a year <laughs> that he would be growing out of, <laughs> of being 2020 um, and and trying to start a uh, a business and a brewery in the middle of pandemic chaos yeah. chaos i mean just but it's it's you know the the idea of i think when people talked about this people talked about pandemics you know before and what they would and the, the difficulties of it, but I never really understood it from the perspective of businesses and um, friends and family and, and, and people working. It was always a health issue. It was always, you know, how do we, you know, if, if a pandemic hit our country, which, you know, we now know that it can and it will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you want to keep people alive, you want to keep people healthy. And that was not that that's not the focus now, but um, the to me, the 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 disaster, I, I don't I'm trying to word this the right way because I know that a lot of people have lost people and it's terrible. But the 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 disaster that nobody anticipated, I think, beforehand was what it did to um to, to business and to companies and to industries and um here you guys are trying to start in the middle of all of that is there 
is there part of that that is an advantage long term to you to uh, to be starting in the middle of what is arguably the worst part of your life as a business? Uh, it's not comfortable, but absolutely right. I mean, I'm I'm all about improving process. That's that's the thing that I really do well about getting incredibly, incredibly efficient. That's what we have to do right now. What what greater thing could you do as a business that from the get go you found your absolute efficiency? Everything above that is gravy. When this goes away and we make it out the other side, and all these other breweries make it out the side. I mean, business in general, I think is going to be. I, I think it's going to be immensely more important. I, it's just this weird thing that I saw the Chick-fil-A by my house shut down and gutted the entire thing and, and, and revamped it. A business would not normally think about doing that. I think that lesson of taking the time to like rebuild your establishment and do it for the better and for your customers is going to be an incredible lesson that businesses are not going to lose. Taking that time to really get back to the basics, understand what's important, become extremely skinny and and simple and efficient on how you operate. Unfortunately, in that as well, you know there were people who lost their jobs too. Um, we were fortunate enough to not have that situation. Right? We waffled back and forth. We thought it was going to be the three of us running this place with. Uh, with no staff of any kind in the beginning. And then we realized that we could hire people. And then we realized how many people we really needed. And in general, it's, it's, been, it's been great um, to the point where we actually hired a couple more people at, you know, at, a, you know, at a certain point. Um, but it, it really makes you realize what's important and really, really makes you focus, right? It can be stressful week to week, you know, but it's all up from here. What, I mean, what is the other bottom? <laughs> you know, I mean, sorry, I should I should knock on wood for that one. Wait, we're, a, we're in a bad week to ask struck, that question. I get struck <laughs> mid building here, but uh, you know, does it does it change how you run the business going forward, or is it just like once once we get through all of this, it's like oh, okay, we're done with that. Now we can go back to business as usual um where the industry um operates a certain way and does things a certain way or does it does it change and i know you guys are 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 kind of new into this so it's it's kind of hard to answer that question but um craft beer used to be a used to be about uh i guess growth and movement and 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 there was not a lot of uh there's not a lot of careful um, tiptoeing around things when 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 places were kind of evolving and growing. It uh, there was a lot of like fast and 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 heavy and just just do this and do this and do this and um, <laughs> making lots of hand motions for people listening. <laughs> does it change? Does it change the way the industry um, grows and evolves? going forward i guess is the question i think for us i mean we'll definitely probably be tighter on our budget you know even if we're um making you know more money out of the end of this and being able to have a larger profit we can um use that and understand that we might need to have more reserves on hand just in case something like this did happen so that we can be prepared um so that you know we can service our debt or pay for our overhead. 
Um, but at the end of the day, as Patrick was saying, as far as efficiencies and go, I think it gets us to be tighter for, um, you know, the experience that we give people, the quality that we have in our beer, because, um, you know, at the end of it, we still need to get people to patronize us. So, um, whether they're coming in the doors or buying stuff on the shelf, you know, if above all else, we still can't hit certain other metrics or marks, then we're going to suffer even more. So I think it, it puts a finer, um, point on, you know, execution, um, that, you know, mistakes that we have to be more critical about, um, anything that might happen. So like if I'm brewing beer, having to, um, you know, dump beer down the drain, if I don't think it's, uh, good enough, if you will. And, there's been a few that we were brewing where I was just like, I'm not sure how this is going to come out. I'm not sure how I feel about this because we have always told ourselves it's like if quality is key and that's one of our core values, you know, try not to put a beer on tap that we don't, you know, we don't value or think is good enough and serve that to somebody else if we're not wanting to drink it or think it's good. Um, But when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you have to worry about every single financial decision because that you know could put you in a precarious position that makes it even tougher but gives you the um sense like i need to be more focused if you will um so at the end of it coming out as patrick said i think it's going to be um even better because we're going to have instilled those qualities already so that when it's over we can you know build off of that if you will right it wouldn't have changed our decision though which is very much more aware of like our core values wouldn't allow that to have been a different decision we're not going to not dump a beer because it's covid right now um we just use a scientific process to see what was going to happen belgian wit's a great example of that um we wanted six beers at least i wanted six beers at least to open and we opened with five right five yeah right because the belgian wit wasn't ready and it sat in a keg um for a month in room condition and then he rebrewed it and it was uh i mean the beginning or the the first batch was about coming in too too low on fermentation temperature yeast freaking out too many of those esters and phenolics and mm. or really it was that that sulfur mm-hmm. um you know and so we let it sit and then when the second one was done we basically compared it and you know what we like the first one better and it we allowed it to take the time we didn't we didn't rush it so we're just being more calculated about it, but it does not change our decision. Our customer service is not great right now because of COVID. It's because that is who we intend to be. We are full service. We serve you at your table. We will always do that because that is who we are. So um, it just, I think it changes our business in the fact that we run with zero spares sometime instead of two spares, right? We're not fat in areas where we just we just can't be right we had something break uh on our on one of our uh our drains on our on our left tap system and you know what we're gonna we'll be okay (laughs) we're gonna use the right one um and we talked about a lot of this stuff coming into COVID. do we just install one we looked for a lot of cost savings i mean I, i don't know how other people walk through this i know the three of us with our backgrounds and our experiences we, we are everybody will do things their own their own unique way but we looked for cost savings in every single place but it, there was never a reason to skimp where it was not necessary if it truly didn't make sense we just went forward with you know we went forward with the cost um so you got the ipa, IPA right now yep. the lotus ipa this for me is the defining kind of 
it's a whole different it, it steps in a very different direction than everything else I've tried so far. I mean, it's straight up American West Coast IPA. Citrusy, delicious. It's <laughs> again, it still fits into the the balanced uh, the profile of of what everything is here, but um, it definitely leans into the hops a little heavier than anything else has. It's a good beer. Thank you. Tell me about it a little bit. Um, yeah, so that one. Um, I mean, of course, you got to have an IPA if you're an open brewery. In my mind, it's like you know, you could. If you have a different identity, you know, let's just say, you know, urban artifact, your sours, then having IPA doesn't necessarily make sense. I even think they had an IPA this when they opened. I think IPA. it was a, a wild kind of uh, bread IPA, oh, okay. but they cool. had one, I'm pretty sure. When Fair they enough. But I mean, that's, you know, generally what craft beer drinkers are looking for. It's not um, uh, what kind of IPA, or it's not, do you have an IPA? It's what kind of IPA do you have? Or you know? is this your only IPA yeah, you have? That's, that's that the one. question I get a lot. And I'm like, what? You why do you need more than one? <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, my favorite style of IPA, at least that I feel like I'm just always a go-to, um, if you will, is just the West Coast style. Uh, it's just the East Coast style. I feel like it's just too malty for um, being approachable, if you will. And I just love those citrusy bright characters rather than having more of the caramel backbone that an East Coast style might give you. I know a lot of people were leaning into the New England styles and the juicy IPAs, hazy IPAs, all those different ones. And um, this is slightly on a hybridization of doing a New England style. So my house strain is um, London Ale 3. I actually use that house strain just because it allows me to do English styles as well as American styles. And then just so happens that I can do New England style IPAs with it. Um, but it's a very versatile yeast strain. It's a workhorse and also um, being one where I don't necessarily have any sort of filter, whether it's, um, you know, particulate filter or uh, centrifuge. Um, it flocks out very well and clears the beer over time. So to me, that yeast strain made sense, but because it's also good with its ester qualities and being able to bring out some of those like juicy notes for, you know, New England style IPA, um, I went with a lot of West Coast hops or West Coast style hops, or at least mm -hmm. leaning more towards the grapefruit, if you will. I didn't use all sea hops, but leaning more towards the grapefruit and the pine citrus. And, um, but I, eliminated the 60 minute boil hops so i eliminated that little bit of sharp bitterness if you will and lent more towards just all whirlpool hops to be able to still give that west coast style but take a little bit of the edge off well, it fits into when you talk about when people come in here and oh, is that your only ipa it, it fits it fits for a lot of different IPA styles. If you come in and you're looking for something that's a little bit kind of fruitier and softer, it, 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 you'll still be able to drink that and be okay with that. If you're wanting something that's a little more bitter, a little more West Coast kind of that, you know, more traditional, if, if that's what it is, um, American kind of big IPAs, it also kind of fits that flavor profile for you too. It, 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 it brings a lot of balance to the table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody take a shot. Um, 
hope we're we're almost like double our show time. So let's kind of work through these last two here. I don't know if that's that, a bad uh, thing or a good thing. I, well, I mean, I enjoy <laughs> it, but I I recognize that not everybody wants to um, sit here all night instead of going home to their screaming children. <laughs> <laughs> they should be in bed. I, Mine's oh, in bed. Yeah, <laughs> I get to go home and have a drink, relax. <laughs> I'm going nice. to walk into my house and I guarantee my three year old is in my bed on my side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee it tonight. <laughs> um, this is a porter, Paramount porter, Paramount, Paramount porter, porter. Yeah, it's uh, more of the robust style. If anything, I feel like porters are. Everybody always asks, like, what's the difference between a porter and a stout? And to me, it's like that's one of the harder questions. But um, at least for me, porter should have a little bit of that roasted character. But I always love like the chocolatey, velvet kind of smoothness in a porter. I think one of my favorite ones is a uh, Founders Porter. So, um, if anything, I kind of lent more into that one, but this one actually kind of comes off a little bit more savory, if you will, has some of those notes as well as being, um, chocolate on the end, especially when it warms up. But it's that good, like roasty chocolate. It's not like that bitter, sharp kind of chocolate mm-hmm. that you get from some stuff. This is, um, round <laughs> if I can if that's a if that's a flavor descriptor it's not balanced it's round <laughs> it is it's well, it is still rounded it is still it is still balanced but um, it just it, it's um, smooth and kind of um, not, I mean creamy is not the right word but it, it's just it it um, it full bodied and just goes down really good so I like <laughs> that's um, my uh, flavor descriptor I like drinking all three of them back to back um, and then also I just love the color variation. So they all get served in a nonic pint. And for the most part, I'm pretty good at being able to pick out what somebody is drinking without asking them. It, we, we make it easy on ourselves to a certain degree because of the different glassware. glassware yeah. I can't tell between the two ethereals or the two cream ales. It's not, it's not possible, right? I'm not sticking my nose in their glass, you know? So, <laughs> but, but those, it's like the three of them together. This is my appreciation for Brian's beer is that they are distinctly different, but they are, they are on a spectrum together. That's what I love about it. They are uh, kind of brothers and sisters in their, in their kind of path from the very very drinkable and just a just a nice chocolatiness to that the end with that oatmeal stout which is an oatmeal stout <laughs> well what i think is fun about all of the beers that i've had is that every beer if somebody sits down and they're drinking one and they fall in love with it there's another beer that you could be like oh you like that you, sh- you should try this one too because it's just a little bit in that next direction that they right. could then get into and then if they're like oh yeah i like that too well then you should probably try this one too. And then like, it's this whole thing where you can just kind of drift around between them all. And like, they all, there's a relationship between all of them that, um, the, the, the journey from one to the other is, is there's connections there that sometimes you walk in and it's just, you know, your, your Blondale, your IPA, your, your Brown and your, your stout. And like, there's, they're just so separate from each other. Mm-hmm. And like, there's definitely like a, uh, a, a journey here and it's, it's, it's great. It's I like love this. the uh, sell from Mystic English Pale Ale to the Dahlia Brown because people just don't expect that. They don't expect that first that they like the Mystic and that second that they would be be willing to transfer over to the Dahlia Brown. Yeah, and what I've always wanted to do as well, especially when we get into having you know 
more styles on tap. We have the ability to do up to 24 styles just with our tap system. Um, also could add on another eight if we really want to, but um, at the end of the day, being able to do uh, flights that are curated to either origin or kind of a grouping. So being right. able to do a dark flight, being able to do a German beer flight or an English beer flight, or maybe it's around the world flight, you know, something where people can get, um, you know, a different experience based off of kind of what they're looking for, but also still be surprising so that they, you know, for something that they've never had. Um, I honestly think it's hard to find maybe like four Belgian beers on a tap lineup or four German beers. Honestly, I'm kind of curious what I'm going to do for the English ones because the English styles aren't always <laughs> but the even easiest if it's, to make. Even if it's a journey to tie people into what an English style is and, you know, you, you start with something else and the flavor that people are familiar with and then kind of work your way into some kind of a traditional, you know, kind of German or English, whatever it may be. Um, beer at the end and like it's like here's here's where we we're, we're starting here with you know your normal IPA that you're grabbing at you know whatever brewery that you, you you go to besides us and here's how that translates into this just through this journey of the flight I think um, I think it's fun like it's just it just it, it brings this whole other aspect of fun to um, to, to drinking beer to drinking a flight or to sitting at the bar and um, kind of conversing over a couple beers. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a lot. Last one. So the Black is Beautiful Oatmeal Stout. Yep. I'm sure you've heard about the whole initiative in this uh, program, but um, we did our version on the uh, lighter style because we opened up in the middle of summer and um, we wanted to have something where it was like... Um, you know, easier to drink, if you will, because it's hard to sell an Imperial Stout when, you know, it's 90 degrees outside. So for us, we thought, you know, let's just make a traditional oatmeal stout and, you know, call it a day. And, um, you know, so this one is more in line with that, you know, lighter version. So I think it's only about five and a half percent alcohol and we didn't add anything else to it except oatmeal. Well, it's still like that big bodied stout, the the oatmeal comes through really great and kind of it fits into the cold weather drinking because it's got that kind of the big body to it that you you expect out of a um a stout it doesn't have again the uh the sharp bitterness that you get from some beers like that it doesn't have that although there is a little kind of bitter chocolate thing going on in the background but um still keeps balance (laughs) thank you now you um i always tell everybody any dark beer like that order it 20 minutes before you want it that's that's how i because we have to keep it cold right but i don't i would not say that it's intended to be drank that way you let it sit for two hours so i'm curious about temperature but it's i mean it's room temperature yes yes it it, it definitely yeah i enjoy sometimes um the the journey of the beer too like i i like to try them cold right out of the taps and then let them sit and then kind of try them along always take a first sip right it's a dark beer take a first sip and then walk away you, you need a side beer when you have a dark, dark beer like Absolutely. that, right? <laughs> it's actually, we should start promoting that. Side beer? <laughs> yeah, it's like, if you're going to buy this, we're going to give you a four ounce as well. So then. Comes with a little baby beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there anything that you guys want people to know about Esoteric that you think they don't already know? I think the biggest thing is where our front door is. 
Yeah. <laughs> Front door and definitely that we are COVID space or COVID safe and have a lot of space here yeah. um, for people to really just be able to get into their own pod, if you will. And uh, I think we've heard a lot of people come in and say it's one of the first times they've been out in a long time considering and you know, we appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, it's you, you know, when you do venture out, you know, with your family or whatever, um, there's places you walk into that, uh, immediately you, you just, you regret the decision and you're like, Oh my God, we shouldn't have done this. And then it keeps you locked up in your house for another, you know, four weeks before you try it again. And when you see places that have, um, the right idea and that you can see our, trying to do things the best way possible and trying to make things better. Um, it, uh, it's refreshing and it reminds you that things are still okay. Even if, even if we don't progress past this point, we can be okay and we can make all of this work and, um, still kind of remember those things that make this industry, what we like the, um, um, the world around us um, a little more enjoyable. <laughs> mm-hmm. So thank you guys for, uh, um, for putting forth the effort to creating a space that people can kind of latch onto and um, make their own, I guess. Um, and thanks for taking some time out from me Absolutely. tonight. Absolutely. We appreciate coming. it. It was a lot of fun. Twice as, love fun. This. Twice as long <laughs> as we were supposed to. I think, <laughs> we should, I think we should start doing this ourselves. Yeah. I just love, <laughs> I just, like, I just love like, you know. Put me out of business? Well, <laughs> no, 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 I, I welcome back. Keep coming back. So um, Sondra does a podcast, and I have been on the show, I think, two or three times, had them on the show many times. I love podcasts. I think that every brewery should have their own podcast because like we were talking about before, there's more breweries in town than I can possibly get to even in a year. Um, everybody should have their own to kind of tell their story every single week to people because um, there's clearly a lot to talk about. We talked for two hours and yeah. I still think scratch the surface. There's a whole line of questioning that we didn't, you know, I'm, we didn't even talk about your, your journey opening this place at all. <laughs> so there's, there's always something to talk about. Um, for anybody who hasn't been here, come here, um, go to the show notes and you can find, um, social media and website and address and all of that stuff. And, um, yeah. Check it out. Sensi Brewcast. Thank you very much. The voice of Sensi Craft.